0: Welcome to The Homegirls, four top producing mega realtors, moms, wives, and friends talking about real estate and real life. Angela, Kristen, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all real estate agents and would be honored to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Join us as we drop a new episode every Monday anywhere podcasts are aired in real life on YouTube and connect with us every day on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at homegirlsco. Thanks for listening. We love you.
1: Okay, hey. hi this everybody. Is the, this is the
2: your screen isn't frozen bounce. <laughs> Everyone has their own like, it's like a TikTok, right? It's like your dance.
1: Yes. It's the bounce for me. <laughs> so we are here today with Jeff Cohn with Elite Real Estate Systems out of Omaha. He's actually in Kauai right now, as we're talking to him. So we're Googling his swimming pool in the background. It's beautiful. <laughs> but um so I would love to know, I feel like your successes are everywhere, and I want to dive into some of them as we get into this here, but I, we don't know much about you personally and your story and how you started in real estate and the inception of all of that. So just tell us about yourself.
2: Cool. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me on today. And so the audience knows, before I got on, they wouldn't stop ranting and raving about their relationship with my you know my success and i guess i came to one of their offices and spoke a couple years ago and it's so funny to see people act that way because i always have acted that way about the people i look up to and sometimes i don't feel like it's deserving and a lot of times when people are successful they let it go, get it to their head so, um and so we will speak to some of my successes the reason that i'm so well known is that i'm not scared to get out there and show people what i've accomplished and i think a lot of times we're embarrassed to show people that we're successful or we've had success and, or we don't know how we got there. And so we're scared to paint this path because we don't know how we got there. We don't know how to answer the question of how are you successful, why are you successful? So I think I've done a pretty good job of being authentic and being able to show people where I came from and where I want to go. And so to answer your question specifically, um, just like most people, I grew up in the suburbs, pretty normal upbringing and a a middle-class family in Omaha, Nebraska, Um, graduated high school there and then spent two years on a mission trip in Brazil. So I speak fluent Portuguese and fluent Spanish, which is pretty unique for someone in Omaha, Nebraska. Yes. Um, and it hasn't really helped me in business in Omaha, uh, but it is a kind of an interesting. No, learning languages taught me a lot of things. And I'll speak to that later in the podcast. Um, out of uh, the missions trip, I then went to college. In three years, I graduated with an undergrad in business. And then in 2006, I decided what I wanted to do when I grew up and I became a real estate agent. I've told a lot of people from stage that when I called my grandma to let her know I decided to get my real estate license and that was going to be my career path. She started crying because she felt so bad for me. Like I had failed. Like I was supposed to be the one that was going to be successful and I became a realtor and not very many people make the choice out of college to become an agent. And it surprised me how many people would ask me, well, what did you do before real estate? And it was kind of funny to be like, uh, I went to college. I'm 23. Like (laughs) I didn't, I didn't have a whole career. I wasn't a fireman or a military or anything else. I went to college. Um, another note to to have here is I wasn't a single 23-year-old real estate agent that had 90 hours a week. I actually was married with a six-month-old little girl. I just graduated college. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment that was $500 a month to rent. This is back in 2006. And I had the whole world ahead of me. I, you know, I had nothing to lose. Um, I had everything to gain. And our plan was in 2006, I got licensed in November. So 2007 would be our first year. We had a credit card that had a $30,000 limit on it. And we were about we had about $50,000 a student loan debt and no credit card debt. So our plan was we'd give real estate 2007, we'd use the credit card if I wasn't successful, and then we'd file bankruptcy and move in the basement with my parents. And then I'd go out and get a real job with benefits, working eight to five, five days a week. Well, 2007, um, I hit the ground running. I worked about 70 hour weeks. And sold 50, over 50 houses. I was rookie of the year that year in my state. Um, I netted $96,000. All of my friends out of college were making 30 to 40 thousand. I I was making twice that. And I started looking systematically at my business, tracking analytically, and asking myself what's making me successful. And then I just doubled down on all of those things. And so following that pattern from 2007 to 2011, I just continued to increase my income, not having to sell very many more houses. I got up to about 70 transactions. Uh, But I made $350,000 net at 27 years old with just one full-time assistant. And then I was servicing all that business. And so then grandma was proud of me at that point, realizing, wow, Jeffrey actually made it. She called me Jeffrey. um, Made it in real estate. And look at the dates here, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010. So the dates where I had my most success was the time when everyone else was saying the economy was horrible and you couldn't be successful. Where are we today? I love where we are because this is what I know. I don't know anything. I, you know, I wasn't used to, you put a house on the market and get multiple offers. People talked about it. Like one day, many years ago, you'd put a house on the market. And I was like, ah, whatever. I just didn't care. I didn't listen to the noise behind me. I knew that a listing was never a guarantee, but a buyer was. The buyer was going to buy. The listing might not have sold. And when I got licensed, the average time on market was like nine months. And there was 8,000 properties for sale. Today, in Omaha, the average market is less than two weeks in certain price points, um, and there's less than a 1,000, about a 1,000 houses on the market. So we're still in a seller's market. Month after month, we break records every month, pretty much. Um, in my career, uh, we started our, our team in 2011, ran that until today, which now, just three months ago, we became a brokerage. So we were at a local indie until 2015. I joined Berkshire Hathaway from 2015 to 2020. Um, when we left Berkshire, we were the number one team in the world in unit sales. Um, Our team had totaled over 5,000 sales for a billion dollars. And January 31st, we officially launched a KW Elite brokerage. And then with that, we also had started um, all sorts of other businesses. So we own a mortgage company, title company, insurance company, residential real estate investment company that buys about 10 houses a month in and around the Omaha area. I have a call center in the Philippines. Um, I just acquired a digital marketing company that does uh, Matterport, which we can actually talk about this today. It's one of the topics that a lot of people want to hear more about does drone fly over videos, drone fly through, through the house. We do 3d renders of blueprints so we can turn a three, a blueprint into a physical house that gets a matter as well. Um, we do digital business cards that have like NFC chips in them. So I've been in all sorts of things and I spend my time in the area that I have the most fun. So I love podcasts. I have my own podcast, the team building podcast on iTunes, Stitcher and YouTube. And then I love to be interviewed on podcasts. So sorry for the long answer, but that's kind of the, what, where I came from and where I am today.
1: Well, I love that. I don't know how you could condense that any shorter because it's such an incredible body of work. I mean, it's amazing. Right. So have you, you've obviously always been pretty entrepreneurial then, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I tell a story from stage when I was five. I was in kindergarten, and our school had a contest of whoever sold the most candy bars for a charity drive would win the first Nintendo. I think it was like, what, 16-bit or 32-bit? It's the first Nintendo that ever came out. And I told my dad I wanted to win the Nintendo. I'm five years old. Well, our family wouldn't have bought one. I might've gotten one at Christmas. It probably wasn't going to happen. We didn't have the money for a Nintendo. And so my dad's like, well, why don't we do this? He worked at a, he had a, he worked at us West. It was a telecommunications company. Had a lot of employees there. He's like, I'm going to buy 10 cases of candy bars. He probably bought, you know, the, the value of a Nintendo worth of candy bars, um, and if they hadn't sold, he would have been stuck with the cost. But he wanted to go sell them at his office, and he didn't have very much success doing it. And so he said, "Let's go to a grocery store. I'll get permission. I'm gonna have you sit outside. I'm this chunky little fat kid, buzzed hair. I look just like I do now, <laughs> and I look like the kid from Up, right? And so I'm facing a snipe, <laughs> right? So I'm at the store selling these candy bars, and I start to learn like they're supposed to be a dollar, and then I was like, I could get two for five dollars, and I'm going up to you. Will you buy a candy bar? needless to say a month later they announced the winner and it's jeff Cohn, a freaking five-year-old and i beat out first second third first. so that's a fun story i like to share that there's a hundred other examples like um i used to set people up when i was 14 i had a learner's permit and i would drive around and set up four sunglass stands um every sa- every saturday sunday in the summer which is only two months out of the year in nebraska and we would average two thousand dollars a day at 14 selling sunglasses that I bought for 50 cents and we'd sell them for $20 on just like a little stand. When the Xbox 360 came out, I went and bought 20 Xboxes, the core system that was $400 from Walmart. And you only could buy one per person. So I hired uh, 20 gentlemen that lived in my apartment complex for $50 a person to stand in line for 12 hours to buy the Xboxes. I gave them each $450 cash. They bought the box, got the receipt. Worst case scenario, I returned the box for 400 bucks and I lose $50. I drove to another electronic store that wasn't going to open till the next day and sold each box for a thousand dollars. So there's lots of little stories and I've got like a hundred more like that. I'm always looking for opportunities to be successful.
1: So are your girls like this? I are think they entrepreneurial? S- your kids?
2: My son is probably most like me and I've tried to instill with all three when they talk about what they want to be when they grow up. I always say, what kind of business do you want to own when you grow up? I've never asked them what they wanna be. I've asked them what kind of business they wanna own. So, so just kind of changing their mindset on, on that.
3: So why go to college then? You knew you had that sales mentality, you had that drive so early on, yeah. why college?
2: Yeah, so for me, I, I assumed I would end up going into some type of a sales role within an organization that would require an undergraduate degree. Um, I also interned at Union Pacific Railroad in their marketing department, and they required a GPA of 3.0 or better and an undergrad degree. So I just wanted to have the insurance policy that if I did, you know, end up having to go into the traditional working world, I at least had an undergrad degree behind me. But I will say in hindsight, because I know there's a lot of people out there um, that are kind of anti-college for people that are wired like, like I am, and I actually am the first to say I hated school. I got in trouble all the time. I talked all the time. It was the worst, right? So I learned a ton in college. I didn't learn a lot in high school, but I actually did learn a lot in college. And I think the difference was the people that teach in college typically have done the thing they teach about, whereas in high school, they just were teachers their whole lives. So I didn't really respect my teachers. I'm like, you've just been a teacher. Not that I don't respect teachers. I don't think that the wrong way. I love teachers. They're amazing. And they sacrifice more than anybody. But I didn't have a lot of respect as Jeff Cohn at 12 years old, 18 years old. I didn't have a lot of respect until college where it's like they were teaching content that they had actually lived and done on the road. You know, they had done it. It changed the conversation. And I needed some of the mathematical skills I got um, in my stats class, my accounting class. There was even, I took an entrepreneurial course, I took a public speaking course. And I would say that a lot of what I learned in college has helped me and I have applied it in my business today. It's a great question, Kristen. And I do say to certain people, college probably isn't for you and that's fine. You can be successful not going to college. I wanted to do it. The other reason was I'm actually the first cone in my generation to ever graduate from college which is kind of a unique thing and my dad never had the opportunity to finish college they had kids really young my grandpa never finished college so my brother did my myself and my brother uh, but that's kind of an interesting stat just to say I'm the first in my family to ever graduate college so I don't come from a, b- a bunch of money most of my family is blue collar you know we, they own a lot of different businesses that are very successful but they're all you know in the construction space mostly so kind of interesting
3: So do you ever, do you ever stop thinking about your next project? Cause you seem like the person that's like, okay, I did this business. I conquered it. What's the next one? Do you ever stop? No,
2: (laughs) not at all. That's, that's the fun, right? I mean, it's always thinking about what's the next opportunity and where I've grown now as as a man and through my maturity is that I have found that what's actually the most satisfying isn't the money you make. The money's kind of a scoreboard, but it's not the satisfaction I've made lots of money. Money comes and goes. It's the impact that what I do has on people. And so empowering those that work within my organizations to be the best versions of themselves, and then providing a solution to clients within every venture that I'm in that gives them the best value compared to all of the other businesses that offer the same solution. That, to me, is what I live for. So I'm always looking for these opportunities to offer something. For example, my digital marketing company um, didn't have to do this, but I had the idea that anyone that used us, we'd send um, NFC. Do you guys know what a digital business card is?
1: Mm
2: -hmm. So most people don't know what that is. So for anyone listening, it's uh, a business card that has a near-field communication chip inside of it, like what you'd have in your credit card. And you can just go and um, put that card up against someone's cell phone and it populates a pop-up on your phone and you can add the contact info. So we're sending everybody, this, this is my chip inside of my pop socket. So we're sending everybody that uses our product for free one of these little chips just because it's kind of cool. And that's the thing I enjoy. Like that's what I would talk about digital marketing all day long. Um, it's the thing that I enjoy. But yes, I am a broken person in that. My brain never stops even when I'm on vacation, driving in the car. They, there was a book, I think it's As a Man Thinketh mm-hmm. and it's As a Person Thinketh. Um, that pretty much stated that anything, what you think is who you are. And so if you control your thoughts, you will become your thoughts. You are what you believe you are. It's true. Pretty, you know, Perception is reality. And you, you can really learn a lot about a person by just asking them what they think about. And it's kind of a fun question. You just ask them, hey, Angela, right now, what are you thinking about? She's taking notes. You know, it, it, And it's not what she's thinking about now. Like, what do we think? Right? Were you the one that mentioned you wish you could shave your head too? Yeah. I just think we all do it. I think we do it. I'm down. We own it. Let's start it. It's a lot easier, trust me. And You all look beautiful with shaved heads. <laughs> so oh. I think I think a lot of people don't recognize this enough, but I'll ask people, what do you do when you have one way to learn about somebody? What do you do when you have 20 extra minutes in the car on the way to work? Are you listening to a podcast? Are you listening to music? Are you just thinking? A lot of us don't take enough time to just do nothing. I think it's important to have time to just do nothing, just think. And I spend an hour a day thinking. So I use that time in my hot tub mostly because uh, I work out a lot, so I'm sore. So I'll sit in the hot tub and I'll just process everything. I don't know if you guys are like me, but you'll have all day long your go, 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 go. And at five o'clock you get home, and you try to go back into like mom mode, you know, or dad mode for me or live at home and chill out mode. But like you're now processing everything from the day and remembering, oh, I forgot to send that text. I forgot to deliver that thing. I forgot to call this person. And then you're working from five to ten o'clock at night and then you never really had time for yourself. And that's playing defense versus offense. So one of the things I learned by reading the one thing written by Gary Keller was talk, he talks about time blocking. So mm-hmm. I've heard so many people right now during COVID say, you know, now I finally have the time to do X, Y, Z. You always had the time. You just didn't make the time. We can do whatever we want every day. We can't do everything. We can We can do what we truly want, what's truly important. So. I actually came up with a quote while I've been on this trip and it's something to the extent of like, dare to see ourselves for who we are and have the courage to change. And all of us during this time have been forced to dare to see ourselves as we truly are. And we get to choose, do we want to take the challenge to change or do we want to just succumb to what we've become?
3: God, that is so perfect. Like what you just said is basically what my husband and I have been talking about the last two weeks with this whole COVID thing. Like now that we are literally forced in our houses and we can't leave, it's sat down and it's opened up our eyes. Like we've had the time. We just don't make it. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. So Jeff, you've literally grown your entire business, started it, grown it, lived it during a time when there was so much uncertainty and so much strife and weird things happening in the market. What are a couple of nuggets that you can share with us that would really help people grow their business during this really uncertain time? Um, yeah. well, some, some markets are crazy busy. Some markets are a lot slower and there's sure. a lot of market uncertainty. And so, um, sure. what were some things that you might offer um, that we, we should be doing since we do yeah. have more quote unquote free time?
2: Yep. So it all comes down to the simple things that you do consistently consistently over long periods of time. So a lot of people right now will make the excuse that okay, you're not allowed to show, let's say you can't show houses at all because you're not deemed essential, right? Some people are in that case. Mm-hmm. This is a great time to reach out to your sphere of influence, the people you didn't call over the last 12 months or five years and just touch base and check in on them, see how their family's doing. This is the best time to follow up on all those internet leads that your broker or team leader gave you that you never really called. And follow up with them to say, hey, I never called you like I was supposed to. And this is a great time. I just want to check in on, you know, check in with you. I always like it's a strategy with dialogue. I call it addressing the elephant in the room. It's where you say on the call the thing that you're most concerned about on the call. And you just own it and just live right there in that awkward state. And you create that authenticity and people will like you, trust you, know you better, they'll remember you more for doing it. Obviously, don't do something unethical or immoral or whatever, but I always will address, like if it's been a year since I called a past client, I'll just say, hey, it's been over a year, I'm really sorry. And then we have a little laugh and we move on. And I'll usually follow up with, you didn't go buy another house without me, did you? Because that's my biggest concern, right? I haven't called them and they did something without me. But I, I, to answer your question, anybody that's consistent over long periods of time is gonna be successful. Second to that is track it. So consistency without tracking, you're, you're, it's pointless. So no, how many calls did you make? I know right now it takes analytically over the last nine years, our team's made millions of calls. It takes five call attempts, like literally with your phone, to get one person to answer. And it takes 10 people to answer to get one person to meet with you in person. And it takes two people to meet with you in person to get one executed contract. It breaks down to about 150 calls equals one sale. And we know on our team with our split structure, with our average sales price in Omaha, 217000 it takes about 36 sales to make 100000 a year. So what we do is we take, if someone wants to make six figure, 100,000 a year, we take the 36 sales multiplied by 150 call attempts, divided over 52 weeks, and now the agent has perfect clarity as to how many calls they need to make each week. And then we as a company hold them accountable to, did you make the calls? Did you make the calls to the best people so you get the greatest return on your time, not only on your investment if you are buying leads, and then we train them to make the best call through dialogue training and topical trainings so that they can be successful when they do engage. So it's a combination of consistency, training and accountability.
0: I love that. The law of averages is is, um, something that's super easy. Once you break it down, it no longer becomes a daunting task anymore. And it's just, if you do these things, then you'll get this response. You just have to do these
2: things. Well, the beauty is I talked to you guys about my mission trip to Brazil. So I learned to speak fluent Portuguese in three months. Um, The FBI has actually reviewed it. So I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormon. <clears throat> and the FBI actually reviewed the missionary training center process of teaching the language because they wanted to find out how were we learning it so fast. The truth is that we weren't learning it at the training center. We were learning it by just using it in the field. So like I was assigned to a partner when I first got there that didn't speak English. So I could either, I did charades until I learned it, but I could have just sat back and never learned it. I was willing to lose over and over and over again by opening my mouth up and looking stupid, saying the wrong thing over and over and over again for three months until I spoke fluent Portuguese, which is insane, right? That's all in my brain. I dream in Portuguese. I have certain words I'll bring up in Portuguese. So the same exact rule applies for success in selling real estate. It's who's willing to lose the most, who's willing to get the most no's, the most door slams, the most failed marketing campaigns, the most failed lead gen efforts, Whoever's willing to lose the most is always going to be the biggest winner.
1: Okay, so I have a question. So I love the How I Built This podcast with Guy Raz. That's like one of my favorites. And he always asks this question, um, how much of your success is that you're brilliant and really talented and how much of it is luck? Like when you started out, did you envision that there would be, you know, all the podcast and elite? training and coaching systems and all this stuff, did you see yourself going to all of these millions of units that you guys are doing or did it just kind of evolve on its own? I never
2: ever dreamed it would be this and I'm not a genius by any means at all. Um, I think my genius is simply learning from other successful people. So the pattern I applied in my life was when I decided to do an internship my junior year of college, I interviewed 10 or 15 successful individuals in Omaha to ask them about their career paths and why they chose their career paths. And then I went into my internships. When I chose to get into real estate, I interviewed top 10, the top 10 real estate agents in Omaha who have now laughingly said, Do you know what you told me when you first met me? And I said, what? And they said, you said that if you got into real estate, you'd be the number one agent within 10 years and you did it in seven. In the state. And I said that. So I was wired to be the best version of myself, but I never thought in my wildest dreams it would become what it is today. The reason it has is then I took it nationally and I went and visited top teams, over 100 physical brick and mortar locations in two years from 2011 to 2013, to learn from the top agents across the country what they had done. And when you systematically educate yourself and look for patterns, that is my genius. And it's not my own development. It's, it's willing to learn from others and not apply the things that they did that, made, that were uh, mistakes, but then apply the things that they did that helped them be successful. There's no luck about it. It's my grandpa's old quote of the harder you work, the luckier you get. I got into the business at the worst time. So no one can say, oh, he just did that because he got in the business at the best time. No, I got in the business at the worst time. What I chose to do was remove myself from the role of agent. And most team leaders and broker owners aren't willing, they're still in production. They're not willing to remove themselves as the rock star. They're still on stage rocking out. I wanted to remove myself so that I could create more impact for those within my organization and build ancillary businesses that ran parallel, that again, created more value for the clients that we served. So my talking point oftentimes is building this one-stop shop hybrid office solution where the consumer can go to one place virtually or physically and they can get everything that they need in the real estate transaction. So they've got the mortgage company, title company, insurance company, real estate agent, design company. We even have a financial planner, an attorney. Um, We have virtual reality. If somebody wants to walk their house that's never been built, all under one roof, all in one hallway, all of that content can be consumed virtually or in person. How do you compete against that? That is the office of the future and the crazy thing, 45 days ago, Gary Keller on stage in front of 20,000 people asked me, I mean, you guys might've seen this on my Instagram post. He asked me, what do I think and everyone in that room should be focused on in the next five years? And I said, every office needs to create a pivot and have a hybrid option where the consumer can consume everything they offer virtually or in person, voila. 45 days later, COVID hits. And now this is a reality today. We didn't have to wait five years. So back to your question. Sorry for the long answer. Um, I thought that when I was in my 50s or 60s, which I would deem as like retirement age, I'd be in a position where I could stop producing. So when I launched my team in 2011, I knew I'd be successful because I'd seen what success looked like by interviewing all these other people. And I thought it'd take me about 20 years. It took me three. So I thought I would be at a point where I could choose to stop selling and I'd have this big mega team. I never had an interest in owning a brokerage, never thought about owning mortgage title insurance. I thought about owning maybe 10 rentals. Like that was my dream. Maybe one day I'll have 10 I own 70 today. I'm going to own my goals, 10,000 rentals, um, single family, multifamily. And so it just changes and the goals you've set for yourself, like 20 year goals are fun. Those are dream goals. One year goals are more fun because it's something you're going to do in the next 12 months or five years. So we, encourage all of our agents and staff members and every business venture to define their 12 to five year goals. And then we hold them accountable to those goals and we celebrate it when they check something off of that goal sheet. Looking at 20 years out, is probably too daunting. It's it's fun to do it once, but don't dwell on that. Dwell on your 12 month to five year. And what you'll find is you're a different person 12 months from now. You're definitely a different person five years from now. What you can accomplish will change. So it's a great question that people always assume. Oh, he always thought he was going to be this. No, I never a million years at 38 years old to own like, 20, this many businesses that generate this much revenue I never thought it would ever be like this so it's been pretty
1: awesome what were some of your fears in doing this and how did you push through it
2: I think I think the the biggest fear always I haven't feared a lot um you know the okay. whole keeping you up keeping you up at, what's that
1: failures too failures that you hit along the way
2: Yeah. I think that my biggest fear was just looking, making the wrong choice and then having it not work. And then people around me could see it. I mean, choosing to launch a real estate team is very public. Everybody knows, oh, there he goes, or she they're, goes, they're launching this team or there they go. They're sending out that mailing campaign. I did a lot of things first. So I believe in my area, I was the first to shoot a YouTube video using an elf camera. Literally, if you look, this is horrible, but you should go search. Jeff Cohn on YouTube and sort my oldest video in my channel to the newest and there's a video of me at 23 I'm 100 pounds lighter my voice is higher it's ridiculous but you should go look at it I was the first to use the camera and say like come with me on this tour and I walked the house without a steady cam. so there's lots of things I did like that and in the beginning I was fearful like what are people going to think of me is this even going to work am I going to fail and people are going to see it I care what people think I think most people do I want people to think I'm successful. I wanted people to think I was making the right choices, but nobody really supported me to be honest. Early on, every time I did something new, people were angry with me. They tried to get me to stop doing it. They say, you can't have a coming soon sign. I did coming soon before anyone else had it. They said, you couldn't have a call center making outbound lead generated. I had a call center of five internal sales agents before ISA was even a term people referred to. And as I did all these new things, kind of leading the way as a a pioneer, I just kept getting pushback from my own brokerage, from my own real estate commission. And that's a hard place for anyone listening that's had a lot of success. It's it's weird to me to be 23 and poor and not having people celebrate my success. To have people that are in their 50s and 60s be jealous of the fact that I'm succeeding instead of giving me a high five, that was weird. And so today I'm very cognizant of that. When I see someone killing it at 23, they're getting all the high fives and accolades in the world going, you're awesome. Keep it up. I'm so proud of you because when I see success, I tell myself I can become that. I don't see it and say, I'll never be that. And I'm angry that that person did something I didn't do. But the truth is the reason people didn't celebrate my success that I learned now, and I didn't know this then, they truly were jealous of the success, but mm-hmm. it goes deeper than jealousy. They knew that they weren't willing to do the work that it took to be successful. And they were sad with them, the person that they had become. That whole dare to self-actualize and then you know, be willing to take the challenge to change. They weren't. They had already self-actualized. They saw they weren't me, and they weren't willing to do what I had done. They definitely weren't risk takers, and they weren't going to change. And that's what they were angry about. So they took it out on me.
0: Is that some of what kind of pushed you to keep doing this? Because like, oh
2: hell yeah, Even yeah. Right like now, I'm
0: somebody who tell me I can't do it. I'm
2: all day. I take pictures. I've, I've heard of people in my own area, and hopefully they hear this podcast that told me that when I launched this this brokerage that it's a sinking ship. They've been quoted going around telling other people, oh, that's a sinking ship. We're adding 20 agents a month right now. We're going to have a record year. We'll do over 1,500 sides this year. Next year, we think we'll do 3,000. We're going to take over Omaha. We're going to take over the country. I, told, I said on stage, we're going to have over 100 expansion locations in the next five years. So we're, what we're building right now, the way I've always envisioned a successful team, there's no reason it has to only exist in a one physical geographical location. Once you've built training, accountability, lead gen, and systems, why can you not copy-paste those anywhere? And I would even say across any brokerage brand. So when I think expansion, I don't think expansion within Berkshire Hathaway or KW. I think expansion with residential real estate agents all over the country. And I also don't just stop there. I'm going to expand mortgage, title, insurance, digital marketing, coaching, investing, every business I've incubated out of Omaha will exist everywhere in the country eventually. So you talked about, what do you think? You know, you're you're always spinning. I'm good with the businesses I own. I feel very comfortable with what I have now. Now my goal is to grow all of those 100 X.
1: So let's talk about the move to KW for a second. So in our group here, two of us are Keller and two of us are not. And I remember, I'm not sure if it was on the podcast or maybe when I saw you spoke, but I I'd heard people ask you before, why you weren't Keller because you're totally that kool-aid mindset guy That's right like you right. Fit, you fit right in you've been drinking it the whole time and yeah. i remember hearing something along the lines of like maybe at that point because berkshire is owned by warren buffett and you're in omaha the brand was really important so how did this move come about like i literally stood up and threw something across the room when i saw that headline uh-huh. I was like, yes. Oh. <laughs>
3: I didn't I wasn't I didn't believe it. I thought it was fake news. I didn't believe it. When my husband told oh my me I was like no, no way. That's I'm funny. Shocked.
2: Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so good question. So in Omaha, I mean Berkshire was prudential, right? Berkshire bought prudential. They had about 25% market share. When I was at an the indie brokerage in Omaha, we were also about twenty-five percent market share. And when my team joined Berkshire, we left in 2015 from the indie to Berkshire, it it essentially turned the 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 um, Prudential brokerage, which was Berkshire to the number one brokerage because of our volume, we did about 4%. So they became 26%. The Indy was at 22%. And then they then acquired over in like the last 24 months, they acquired another brokerage owned by Home Services called CBS Home, which now makes them number one easy. They have about 45% market share. Why I share all of that is because you always want to align your people with the best place where they can be the most successful. At the time, I felt like I had the training, coaching tools, systems that my team needed to be successful. All we didn't have was the name. I felt like that was going to be the final, the final piece by having that strong name. What I learned and what I probably already knew was the name isn't what mattered. It's the relationships your agents have with people. Um, and I actually wanted to be inside of KW, but I wanted to own 100% of a market center. And that opportunity wasn't there for me five or six years ago. So when I went to Berkshire, I had actually talked with some leadership, regional directors, et cetera, at Keller Williams. And there was there was an opportunity for me to have a very small share in a market center. The story didn't get told publicly nationally uh, when I came over that I launched a market center. They didn't want that to be the story because that wasn't an opportunity for everybody. Locally, that was the story. Jeff Cohn launches a second market center in Omaha. Um, but the main reason was one, it gave me complete autonomy. I was sick of having to report to another broker and having somebody else pay attention to what I was doing. I was at a level where I was literally a brokerage within a brokerage. And so I just figured it was the time to have a brokerage. So then the question was, which brokerage? And I looked at you know all of them, all the top five you hear people talking about. And in the end, I felt like Gary Keller's you know the opportunity i had to meet with gary three separate times for four hours each time the conversations we had about the direction keller williams was going aligned perfectly with everything i wanted to do gary made a great point he said you know jeff you're going to be successful no matter what and i tell a lot of my recruits this not all the most you're going to be successful no matter what the question is where will you be the most successful in the least amount of time with the least amount of energy and by plugging into kw with all the things i was wanting to do nationally it was gonna be a lot easier to try to expand and accomplish the different things that I wanted to accomplish. And I have coaching, so we're working on a joint venture with maps coaching, to have ERS maps coaching. Uh, We're working on doing expansion offices inside and outside of KW. I want to build an investment team inside of each market center so in addition to owning a percentage of rev share through profit share you can also choose to own a percentage of a real estate investment trust owned by the market center which helps keep the agents a little stickier but using my lead acquisition process for my investment company and tying that to market center so we have all sorts of ideas of how we'll partner but i didn't want to feel stuck in one place i've always hated that feeling and I kept asking Gary, that was always my biggest concern with partnering with Keller Williams, that I'll have to be drinking that Kool-Aid 24-7. Gary said, he said this so many times that Jeff, there's no rules. And here's a little funny story. I've never shared this publicly. You guys will like this. Um, when I got ready to get on stage at Family Reunion, I said, you know, I'm going to ask the audience to follow me on Instagram, right? And I didn't have, you know, that was kind of my way of asking for permission. He said, Jeff, there's no rules. So, <laughs> that's why I ask for it. people like, dude, you have, you have the biggest guts, you know, to be able to go up there and you wear your elite real estate systems hat and you ask for people to follow you on instagram i'd ask for permission from gary i wouldn't have done it had gary said no but i love that sentiment of hey there's no rules you know go be yourself be who you are and the rest will follow so i would recommend to anybody you know don't try to be someone you're not and if clients don't like the person you are that's okay you lose one client if agents don't like it that's okay if your family doesn't like it that's okay be who you are there's a great book you hear me referencing lots of them on the podcast These are books that have shaped the person I became. And there's a cool quote out there. It's the difference between you and me or the people we meet, the books that we read and the podcasts that we listen to. And the people we spend our time with, you know, really ideally. So this book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, sounds a little morbid, but they break down the top five things people regret when they're literally in hospice on their deathbed. And one of them is living the life someone else wanted them to live, not living the life that they wanted. So I would urge anyone listening to this, live your life, quit worrying about it. Shave your head if you want to shave it. Gain a hundred pounds if you want to gain it. You know, do whatever you want to do. Be yourself. As long as you're truly happy and you're you're comfortable with the person that you've become, I say go for it.
1: Did you lose a lot of people on that self-actualization journey? Because I feel like that's one of the things that gets people stuck. Is that as your brain gets bigger, your heart gets bigger, you get more open there are people that can't go on that journey with you and it can wreak havoc in your life all over the place. So were there people that didn't yeah. go with you? This
2: is a great question, Lindsay. You have to compartmentalize your success and the person you're becoming. Um, I can't force those around me, significant others, best friends, family members, to follow in my footsteps and do what I do. I can be an example, but the truth is most people won't follow and you will pave a, a road that nobody, you know, it's the, what's that? Frost, Richard Frost poem. Okay. The, There's the two poem. roads, Converge, and You know, I took the one less traveled by most people will never be us, even us on this podcast from a sales standpoint. And that's okay. Um, I feel like it's our job as a leader to give people the vehicle to help them become the best version of themselves. They don't need to be like me when they grow up. I'd actually tell most people don't be me. I'm, I'm broken. I'm sick in the head, like to never stop. And to keep building all these things, it's, it's insanity. It's not hard. I mean, I have other people running all these business entities. It truly isn't that hard or horrible. Um, and I'm choosing to. I'm choosing to do it. But I would say, for like, I'm kind of envious sometimes of that agent that's just selling 25, 30 houses a year, making 100 grand. And they're like, Yeah, I'm good. All I need is six figures. I wish I was that way, but I, I'm not. I hope my kids are that way. That they're just good, making you know 75 grand a year and having the house they have and going on the types of trips they're going on. Um, I wanted 100x of that. So I needed 10. I want 10 million dollars a year in revenue without me having to do anything. That's been my goal now for two or three years. And originally when I first started making, getting into real estate, this is what, 2006, this is 13 years ago. I wanted to make six figure. That was my dream to make a hundred thousand. And then after making my hundred thousand, I was like, well, that wasn't that hard. I want to make a million. And I followed seventh level. I made my first million at around 30. And then it was like, well, that wasn't that hard. Let's 10 X that. And so 10 million is now the number. And I'm not, I'm there in gross income. I'm not there yet in net And I'm not even close in net income.
1: What do you think but, is the one yeah. thing that keeps people from getting where we are to where you are, right? Like, is it is it mindset? Is it, like to me, the one thing I always go back to personally is like, I am not an MBA. I've gone and audited every single book that's read in an MBA course and I've read all of them and I've done all of the activities, but I get really in my head about the fact that I'm not A business person like what is the one thing is it sheer balls like what is it that keeps people from going from where we are to where you are
2: honestly this is the realization I had we are all in the same exact place because we have the same amount of time every day so it's mindset it's changing what you think you're able to accomplish and then choosing to spend your time we have the same amount of time so it's just choosing to spend your time differently than how you've been spending it it's the Albert Einstein quote that you can't solve the problem today that solved the problem yesterday it's something like that i crushed it killed the quote google it but ultimately like what's got you here isn't going to get you there and you just have to change your perspective you have to change how you want to spend your time you have to change what you want so i think it's like your guidance counselor you know there used to be a test in high school that would tell you like what occupations you'd be successful at um i think it's hard for people to really self-actualize and know like what are they going to be happy doing especially in high school where you have you don't have a lot of life experience as you get older, you start to learn where you feel comfortable, what you enjoy. People will naturally gravitate to what they like doing. They like to do the workout. You know, they like to walk instead of run. They like to not prospect, but they'll bring it up at church. Like, people are typically not going to do the thing that's painful. But the truth is, and it's just the horrible truth, is you're not growing unless you're feeling pain. You're not. Like, so when you're in comfort zone, what's the quote on that one? That when, there's something where, like, there's no growth in the comfort zone or something. Um I think people just, I mean, of course people don't want pain. Who's the one? David Goggins is the best example of pain. Can't hurt me. I just listened to that book. It's really awesome. Living with a seal is another really good one. That's about him. It doesn't quote his name in that book, but that's who it is. Um, He talks all about pain. He was a Navy SEAL. He went through Navy SEAL training three times. He's like the first person to be in three different special forces, I think Army Ranger Delta Force and Navy SEAL. The dude is crazy. Um, He had a horrible upbringing, went through some horrible things. I did not have a horrible upbringing. Um, but I still like to go and challenge myself. I'm bored unless I feel like I'm getting stretched. And so that's my sickness. Most people are just happy in the comfort zone. I'm bored. I get bored real easily. So like literally my wife and I were on a walk two days ago and I said, I think I'm in a really good We're in Kauai. I'm running everything virtually, but I'm like, I'm in a really good place right now with the businesses I own. I think I'm good. Now I just want to expand into a hundred locations.
1: How does she, how does she deal with that? Right? So like, how do you deal with that most intimate relationship? Is she like you? Is she different than you? Is she just like go do whatever you want, yeah. Jeff? Like how does that work? You're,
2: you're familiar with the DISC test, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So I'm a 99D, 99I. Yes. She took the test five years after I had taken it. And I was really curious what she was. She's a 99S, 99C.
1: That's Eric so. and I. Eric and I are the same way. Ryan and I. Yeah. Totally
2: polar opposites. She's here, Andrea. You want to come talk?
1: I was gonna. I, yeah, She's make listening her call. right I was now. Gonna, make her that come in not here. Me. Like,
2: seriously. I There's no way I'm getting her on here.
3: Okay. we tell her we say hi. Hi. That hi. was literally going to be my next question is like, how do you like, what is she, does she work for you? Does she work in the uh, business? Like she's no, basically,
2: okay. yeah, ahead. we started dating really young. I was 22. She was 25. And our goal was we both wanted to have a stay at home parent. And we felt like I would be better to be full-time in the workforce and she'd be better as full-time parent, which is a full-time job in and of itself. And she has continued since having our first child in 2005, been a stay home parent. Um, she has a lot of responsibilities in the community and does a lot of charity work and parenting with a 14, 12 and 10 year old, but she doesn't work to make money and has never since we've been married pretty much the first year before we had kids, she did a little bit, which has been awesome. That's what we wanted. So you asked about like, me making decisions. So we've done couples counseling and I'd recommend to anyone even before you get married to go to couples counseling. It doesn't just have to be for a bad marriage. I'd say it's for a thriving marriage. And there was an issue she brought up. I had bought a $136,000 Porsche, but I bought it with my call center money. And it was kind of my uh, bonus to myself for having to get on like sales calls once a week. I did group sales calls for like two years and I used the money I made off those to buy this $135,000 Porsche. Well, she felt like that was a conversation we should have had together. I didn't have the conversation and I look at the therapist and I said, but it was a business decision. (laughs) I I literally buy like a million dollars worth of houses every week, easily. So, and I don't go check on all those houses. I said, I don't ask her about five million dollars in houses. What's the difference? She's like, well, the Porsche is going to be in your garage. It's an image thing. You probably needed her blessing. I was like, I was like okay, so what's the dollar amount? I like go over a hundred thousand. I need her permission. So you can tell I'm wired. I just, I just didn't think about it. I didn't care. I just did it. Yeah. So she wants to be more involved in those types of decisions. So I've tried working on it, but I'm, I'm horrible at that.
1: Is she there with you on the mindset piece though? Like, so even though you don't work together, is she, um... Is she there with yeah. you mentally
2: on those? Yeah. Okay. So where she's really helped me is she's really great at writing. She's really good with words, um, punctuation. Um, in a lot of areas, I was writing at like a high school level, probably when I got into real estate, like a lot of real estate agents, no offense. And I've, I've come really far with the words I use and with my writing skills. Um, she's helped me make choices that a high DI probably couldn't make very well by themselves. So I'll ask her like, I'm really pissed about something. What do you think? And it's always the opposite. Same. Everything I complain about is the opposite. Like, I'm mad right now about COVID and everyone not being able to be outside. And she's like, I think it's safe. Let's keep everyone safe. I'm like, no, let them die. I mean, we are totally opposite in everything, which That's is so horrible. It's so, it's hard. It's like exhausting, right? But it's been a good, you know, yin and yang, ebb and flow. Helped me ground it, absolutely. And I don't think I would be here if it wasn't for the fact that i having her support i mean I, I wouldn't be i i have the luxury i don't do laundry i don't cook meals i don't go grocery shopping i don't the kids all the kids hobbies. she knows the dates i help a little bit with drives but she does all of the home stuff and i do all of the business stuff so we're like i tell real- you
1: all the time we need a wife we don't need an assistant we need a wife <laughs> it's a true story
2: it's pretty amazing and she points it out all the time like you don't know how good you have it i'm doing all these things at home i'm like, this is the worst thing to say. So any non state home parent, do not say I can just hire it. But of course, that's what I said. My D couldn't keep me from saying I'm like, oh, I'll hire a cook, a cleaner, a lawn person. I'll hire it all.
1: I think Andes you owe that car. woman $130,000 Porsche in her color. <laughs> I, right. Amen.
2: I let her have any car she wanted. Um, her last vehicle she bought, we bought it about four or five years ago. I told her, pick anything you wanted. I wanted her to get a Range Rover. I've now now kind of fallen in love with the GL Mercedes. Um, She chose a Sienna minivan, fully loaded. It was $50,000. She drives it today, and she doesn't want a new car.
1: And I'm like, honey,
2: I can't handle it. I don't even want to be seen in it. I don't want people to know we own it. So we literally (laughs) in our garage had a Raptor, a Porsche, and a, a Sienna minivan. (laughs)
0: <laughs> they are
2: crazy nice. The doors both open the same That's time. the as thing, the Angela. So, I mean, I don't any, have one,
0: but
2: I think they're pretty cool. If any SUV company could get their stuff together, their doors would slide open. It's a game changer. And I love it because the kids can never turn their doors into my stuff, into my nice cars. I don't want their doors <laughs> popping open into my nice cars. So <laughs> right? doors are, people try to, oh, I hate minivans. It's like, yeah, I just watched your three-year-old break your husband's BMW door or, you know, whatever. It's a pain. And then they're with the wind, they're swinging. Sorry, we are so down a rabbit hole. Well, the wind comes up. But it's
1: fun. It's fun. And I think we're almost, we're almost to your time limit. So I want to ask, so you started out by saying that there are people like you for you, right? So like you're that for us that we admire and look up to and model after. Who is that? for you. Like, it's crazy to me that there are people in the world that are like more you than you, that there wouldn't oh, even be anyone facts. for you to look of up to. Of
2: course, there's people way further along than me. Maybe not at my age there are, but there's a lot of people. So now with all those different businesses I own, I'm looking for mentorship within each business. So like, well, who taught me this? I, I learned a long time ago. I think I learned this in when I was part of a group called Go Abundance. Um, They talked about having three or four people that are the experts at all the things you want to be successful at. So if you want to be awesome at CrossFit, find two or three people that could be like your accountability coach, your mentor with CrossFit. So I'm always searching for who my next mentor is going to be. When I say mentor, it's literally just having somebody's phone number, like having Jessica's phone number and being able to call her to ask her a question once every couple of months, just a person I can go to and having that safety net of knowing, okay, worst case scenario, we get into this issue. I have this person I can go to. So I'm always looking for my people. Who's my next go-to? So as far as a big picture, I, mean, I could say, I could rattle off a list of everyone that a lot of people know, like Gary Vee and Grant Cardone and, you know, I don't know, Gary Keller. But the truth is I'm like borderline narcissistic. So I don't really want to give anyone the credit that they're the people I look up to. I look up to myself, meaning I'm always self-actualizing and trying to be the best version of myself. And I'm willing to admit I would never be where I am right now without thousands of people that have helped pave the way for me. And I'm always looking for who that next person is to take me to a higher level. And I would never be here. I mean, I'll say this a million times. I never thought I'd be here. I wouldn't be here without all these people. I've got 5,000 people on my phone who've helped me through all of these businesses. I've mentioned, we've made lots of mistakes. And so it's a good question. Yeah. I've been pretty damn authentic on this. You, I knew I'd have four women getting things out of me that no one ever gets out of me. I hope I didn't like piss (laughs) off a bunch of people in this audience.
1: No, I don't think so. But that, I mean, that was the idea. So sorry for uh, on the sword right there. <laughs> that's our goal. Yeah. I mean, right. you know, if you come on a show with four women, we're going to want course. to talk about all that stuff, right? Sure. So you were perfect. I wish we could keep you forever and ever and ever.
2: Aww. I have your phone that's number. Good.
1: Uh-huh. Sorry for you. <laughs> if you need anything, call me. Yeah, I mean,
2: that's a big thing. I keep my Thursdays. This is also something unique. Every Thursday afternoon is completely open for calls with anyone. Um, I found how to monetize that essentially. There's always every person I come in contact with a, I'm going to try to inspire them to be a better version of themselves. B I'm going to find a way for them to be part of my world and for me to be a part of their world in some way. So training, using my digital marketing company, partnering with expansion, like, there's always something. So, um, we give away, uh, the URL for being able to set up a call with me is growwithers.com Grow with ERS, and we do a bunch of giveaways on that site. You can learn more about our coaching company, access to our podcast link, all sorts of stuff. Um, But go out to growwithers.com, and that's pretty unique. I've never met someone that makes their calendar available. Um, I've learned a lot by doing that. Um, The types of questions people ask, the types of things that come from being able to give yourself that way Uh, it's been really interesting. And that was one of my dreams was that one day a week I could just give my time away
1: that's amazing we'll link all that in the show notes Uh, we have been personally elite real estate coaching systems clients and it is incredible so if you have interest in growing a team or if you have a team and you need more infrastructure and help that's amazing um and team building podcast is one of my absolute favorites to listen to so definitely listen to that i just want to say thank you for giving us your time and your authenticity i was terrified to jump on this I've been sick to my stomach all morning about it oh and you gosh. are just you're a cool dude you're really inspiring and open and um amazing and super refreshing to talk to you so thank you so much mom
2: that's time. sweet of you guys to say yeah. thank you
1: and thank you Jeff, Jeff. all right thank we'll you see Jeff. you guys next uh, week Christian.
2: appreciate Bye. being on
1: thank you
0: we hope you loved our show today If you enjoyed it, do the homegirls a favor and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Share this episode with all of your homegirls and friends and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HomegirlsCO.